for me uh, at each place, again, you know, I think the, the biggest thing I think I walked away with is patience and understanding are, the, are two things that you just have to, you have to have that in a kitchen setting um, or you'll lose your mind. My name is David Noel. Welcome to episode number 10 of the Role Models Podcast, where I interview successful women from a broad range of sectors. And in these conversations, I try to learn about their story and the career and about the lessons they have learned along the way. For this 10th episode, I caught Dakota Weiss just before she was getting ready for the evening shift at Estrella a modern American restaurant on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, where she is the executive chef. Dakota has been cooking for 20 years, and she learned the first basic skills from her mother and her grandmother. And instead of becoming an international businesswoman, she studied cooking at a culinary institute before bouncing all over the United States to learn from some of the best chefs in the industry. In this episode, we learn from Dakota what it was like to learn from different management styles in kitchens and how she picked up different skills from different chefs. We also talk about what her favorite ingredient is right now and the one dish that she loves to cook most right at this moment at Estrella. She's also very generous with sharing advice. The two most important qualities that she believes uh, a successful chef should have and also the three most important skills needed to become a successful chef. The advice she has for people interested in becoming a restaurant does not involve going to culinary school. Before I hand over to Dakota, as always, I need your help. Uh, and this help requires three different steps. First, please go to iTunes and search for the Role Models Podcast. Two, please hit the five stars and three please post a very short review about why you like listening to this podcast. If you do this, it really helps us find more listeners like you and maybe even get featured on the iTunes podcast store. So this is episode 10 of the Role Models podcast. There's many more coming. My name is David Noel, and this is Dakota Weiss. Dakota Weiss, welcome to the Role Models Podcast. Thank you for having me. Where Can you describe where we are right now? We're currently sitting in our back speakeasy uh, bar, and I say that with quotation marks. Um, it's called Mother's Auxiliary, otherwise known as MA, or if you really don't know, it's Ma. <laughs> you know how I many people like will come in and say, anybody know how to get to Ma? <laughs> um, it, which is, sits in the back of uh, my restaurant called Estrella, which is off the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood. Yeah, so thanks for uh, hosting me in your restaurant um, so shortly before the evening shift uh, kicks off. <laughs> so we'll we'll try to cover all the things that we want to cover. And um, you are the executive chef of Estrella, where we are recording this right now. You're also the executive chef of Sweetfin, which uh, is a chain now, I think. Right? I think we can officially call it a chain A chain, at yeah, this point. Six, yeah. Six locations of five and then one, one coming up in downtown. Yeah, five over. Open three coming up this oh, year. Oh, three coming yeah. up this year, really? Yeah. So I think I think the four four of my partners really push hard. That's yeah, and it's <laughs> it's now it's I think officially a, a chain. Yeah, we call it that of Sweetfin, which is a, a California style poke restaurant. Exactly. Um, and so we'll dive into that. And I think w what I would love to hear from you uh, to kick off the conversation is what is the thing that you're most excited about right now? 
The thing I'm most excited about, well, it's something that I don't get often. It'd probably be sleep. <laughs> I'm really excited about sleep. No, I get really excited when I like can actually get in bed before midnight, which honestly only happens maybe once or twice a week, um, and I can actually set my alarm. I do on the iPhones now. They have this really cool. Uh, it's a, well, it's new to me. I don't know. It's called bedtime, and it gives you an option of what what time you want to go to bed and then what time you want to wake up and it tells you exactly how many hours you have and it gives you like a time it like a time limit like 15 minutes before like okay start winding down it's time for bed so I get really excited when it says you're gonna get eight hours of sleep tonight but it only says that really like maybe once a month okay it's like a sleep assistant (laughs) that's exciting but but like professionally um i'm just excited about everything we're just about to head into the summer season so i think all chefs in general like summer is like our goo goo gaga month where we just go nuts because produce is just out of control especially here in california where it's i mean it's literally everywhere like i can go pick fennel on the side of highway one because it's just growing wild so i mean produce right now is something that i'm super excited about (laughs) Um, I want to go back a little bit. Can you help our listeners uh, get an idea of who Dakota Weiss is? Where are you from? How you grew up? Uh, I don't know if they want to know that. Well, I want to know. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, no, I um born and raised in California um, in the high desert. Um, my mom was a hippie and we literally grew up on a kind of like a pseudo farm that you'd see in the desert. Um we and it's something I actually forgot about until just on Mother's Day. If some friends of mine that I grew up with came in and they're like, "Yeah, do you remember when we were growing up?" and we go to your house and your mom would give us milk. And I apparently I was raised on goat's milk, um, and I didn't remember this until they're like, "Yeah, we go to your house and your mom would give us milk and it was always gross." And then you just take it and you were so excited about it. I was like, "Really?" I totally spaced that. Um, so literally on a farm, had fresh goat's milk. Um, never had. Gerber, like any baby food from the jar. My mom made everything from scratch, um, you know, pureed peas, t- whatever it was. Um, she wasn't huge on giving us sugar. So we had, you know, instead of chocolate, we'd get carob, which is definitely not a great substitute. Wait, what, what is it? Carob. Carob. I don't, I don't really even know exactly what it is, but it, it's like a chocolate substitute, more or less, but it tastes nothing like chocolate. And it's got kind of this chalky almost kind of soy saucy flavor to it's just it's gross it's well, not as, good. as a belgian that's known uh, belgium being a, a country known for chocolate yeah it, you I would hate it very hard you would hate it i'm gonna find someone i'm gonna ship it to yeah, you i'm going to try it i want to try it i want to see the comparison. um you know we get carob instead of chocolate and you know we'd want ice cream and twinkies and ho-hos and all these great things that kids crave mcdonald's for that matter and instead like for dessert my mom would give us homemade fruit roll-ups you know or dates or like a dried apricot and we're like well this sucks <laughs> isn't exactly what we were going for but whatever but at the end of the day I kind of feel like my mom was raising me to be a foodie and she didn't know it and I didn't even know it because now even as a child you don't appreciate you know that kind of food but as an adult I'm just I really look back and I'm just like wow she really like actually I think trained and mold my palate to to be what it is yeah talk more uh, talk a little bit more about that because it sounds like the surroundings in which you grew up influenced also by your mother shaped uh shaped your life like shaped your career can you talk Absolutely. a little bit in what way that that influence uh came through I think it was I mean I you know growing up 
having a mom who really just appreciated food. And I mean, she grew everything. She had amazing gardens. My grandparents also had um, a pheasant farm not too far from where we lived. So, you know, not only were we having fresh vegetables and all this great produce and everything, you know, fresh milk, fresh eggs, you know, we were getting fresh pheasant. You know, not just your every average day chicken. It's like this great game bird that chefs like, you know, we hold pheasant up on this pedestal because it's such a great bird. Um, again, as a child, you're just like, where's the normal chicken? Why are, what is this weird looking bird here? Um, but I feel like between her love of, of fresh food and ingredients and cooking and then my grandma, you know, obviously cooking, she did have a little bit of a different style of cooking more so from like the box and a can besides the fresh pheasant um it kind of just molded me to appreciate it even though I was relatively picky in what I ate um but I think most kids are you kind of got to go through that phase and then when you grow up you're like oh my gosh this is really good like what was I thinking (laughs) how did you learn to cook um I definitely from my mom and my grandma I was in the kitchen at, at all times as much as I could be watching them not because it's what I wanted I knew what I wanted to do it was just fun you know there's all these things dropping on the ground and it was like a fight between me and the dog and my sister who's going to get the scraps you know and it's that thing I think kids love like when your grandma's baking cookies and she's stirring you know all the ingredients together the coveted part of that whole experience is you get to lick who gets to lick the wooden spoon you know like that's like the raw cookie dough thing like I think people like love and so I think just being around the kitchen because it was just fun and the noises were exciting and there's lots of movement and sound and all these things going on that just um really like get you excited about it and you don't really understand it but it's just different and it's fun what was the favorite dish do you remember a favorite dish to make as a as a child um, by the time I was actually old enough to go in and cook, my, my dish was um, tacos. I was, we did every, once a week I would do tacos for the family. And I'd grind the beef and I'd make all the spices and I'd fry the tortillas and it was just really fun. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very jealous of that. I'm a huge tacos fan. <laughs> they weren't like, you know, the legit tacos you get from Mexico. You know, they're definitely um, more of the, a taco for the liking of like a 12 year old, but, um, tacos nonetheless. And t- take us, take us from that, uh, from that initial immersion into cooking, um, which is, uh, very familiar, like, uh, within your family to, uh, eventually turning it into a profession. It was, um, once I went off to college, um, I went to, I thought I wanted to be like this big, high-powered businesswoman, so I started studying international business. And I also kind of feel like I picked that because I didn't really know what I wanted, and it just sounded really cool. And I'm thinking, oh, I can learn these languages and travel, and like I could see myself wearing suits and you know high heels, and it'd be great. Um, but I, you know, as a college student, I'm just picking up little small, you know, part-time jobs, and I picked up this great little job um, doing pastries, like scones and muffins and stuff like that, at this coffee shop. Um, and I would do that at 5 a.m. in the morning, and then I'd go to my classes. Um, but I found myself kind of skipping classes to pick up extra shifts because I was having such a fun time doing it. And kind of like the movie Julia and Julia where she like cooked every recipe out of the Julia Child's cookbook, I was the exact same way, but I was, had my um, Better Homes and Garden. It was the Betty Crocker cookbook, you know, with the red and white checker all over it that my mom sent both my sister and I off to college with and said, here, you're going to have to learn how to cook for yourself. Like, go for it. Um, so I wound up skipping just a lot of classes to the point where I was doing really bad. <laughs> and uh, my mom's like, well, why are you wasting my money? Like, is this what you want to do? Like, I keep paying your tuition, but you're not really going to your classes. So what's going on? 
on? Um, and I finally was just like, you know, you're right. This is not what I want to do. I think I really like cooking and I think I want to pursue it. Can you talk a bit more about that decision process, decision making process of saying, I don't like that. I want to do something else. Like, was it that simple or was there some, some more to it? Well, I think me and just my personality in general, I'm either, okay, I like doing this right now. Okay, I'm done. It's next thing. I get like a kind of ADD a little bit. <laughs> so you're just like, all right, next, on to the next thing. Ooh, shiny squirrel. Um, so it, yeah, it was just that easy. And I made the decision right then, picked out three schools, narrowed them down from there and enrolled. And that was it. What was the school? Um, I wound up going to Scottsdale Culinary Institute in Arizona. Arizona, yeah. Um, at the time, was privately owned by a mother and um, her son, and it was amazing. It was, you know, very hand, obviously very hands-on and very small classes. Um, it eventually got bought by the Cordon Bleu, and it, you know, turned into you know a much larger scale uh, thing. But I'm very glad I was able to be there while it was still private because I feel like we the classrooms were smaller and like it was a lot more attention that you got from the, the teachers and everything. What are some of the essential skills that you learned during that time going into school so you've had you've had education from from your house from your home you've had uh, a cookbook that your that your mother and grandmother gave you that you tried out and then you went to a, a professional cooking school what is it for people who don't know this world like what how, how what are the first skills that you learn what are the things that that you start off with I think that the first thing for me, at least, because I knew how to, you know, chop things and like handle hot pans and, you know, I knew how to boil water, right? But there were actually some kids in the classroom that legit had no idea, like you had to put salt in the water, or, you know, it took this long to boil or, you know, really silly things like that, that you think are just kind of common sense. But, um, you know, the first thing is really just your knife skills. And I think it's, it's learning how to hold a knife properly and then learning how to, you know, use it so you're not one, going to hurt yourself, and two, it just makes it easier for you in the long run. Because um, I think a lot of people, you have like a thing, like hold their knife kind of like they chop like this instead of slice, you know? Um, so it's like those really simple, the things that you think would be simple and you would know, but you don't actually know. So it actually you start with, with more manual techniques rather than actually touching any produce and doing any, any absolutely yeah no absolutely it's a lot of just um here's how you grab a knife here's you know a lot of even the terminology that you use in the kitchen is you know it's a lot of french words that you'll use um so it's kind of getting you used to all of that stuff and learning the history about food and about escoffier and you know all these you know great things that make food exciting that a lot of people have no idea about i mean i didn't have any idea i didn't even know what a truffle was i mean i when they started talking about truffles, I was like, oh, my God, I love chocolate. This is so exciting. Like, truffles. And they're like, no, we're talking about mushrooms. And I was like, oh, <laughs> whoops. And I mean, I was 20 when I was going to school. So you'd think it just seems like common knowledge now, but it wasn't. <laughs> How was it then different? How was it graduating? Like, what was the big difference between entering that school and exiting that school? Um, well, for me, I'd never, even up, even in elementary school, I would find every possible way to call out sick, to not have to go to school, to not have to do my homework. I was just never a really good student. I had a hard time focusing. I didn't want to listen to the teachers. Um, it was a little rebellious, you know, at times. And um, to the point where I got kicked out of two high schools, you know, and then eventually my mom's just like, stop going to college because you're just not going to classes. When I had the choice you know, do, can I go to class or do I not want to go to class? And I most likely chose, no, I don't want to go to class. Um, so for me, going into a school-like environment with the history that I had of not necessarily liking that environment, I left 
never missing a day of school, getting there early, and like trying to pick up extracurricular things to do, picking up a job just so I could get more involved in it, and then graduating top of my class. I mean, that was, I, I never saw that coming. So it was, it was kind of cool. <laughs> and so, and so, what do you think made you a good student of cooking? I, that I finally found something I was interested in, and it was everything. About, it was I was interested in the history of it. I was interested in, you know, why does, um, you know, why do onions contain sulfur? Why do they make you cry? Um, how do you butcher a chicken, you know, properly, and, and stuff like that? Like I was just genuinely interested in every aspect of cooking. Maybe so, so much not the financial side of it in the beginning. Now I love spreadsheets. I'm like an Excel spreadsheet nerd um but i mean eventually that you know that kind of comes with the business so you have to learn it so you when i look at your bio um it's you have a whirlwind of a career <laughs> not only in terms of different stations you've you've done different uh, experiences you've get uh, you've gained but also different locations and places you've been you've been all over the the u.s um talk take us a bit briefly <laughs> through the through the different major stops sure. of, in your career um, and then, and then pause on the ones where, where there was a big learning okay. or turning point or um, crossroads. So yeah, straight out of culinary school, I um, went to Coyote Cafe, which is a place that I, you know, a huge restaurant at the time. Mark Miller was the owner um, and it had a great reputation. It's kind of when Southwestern cuisine was still kind of new and hip. And uh, I knew that's exactly where I wanted to go. And that definitely, uh, Jeff Drew, who was the executive chef there, you know, he was just a wealth of knowledge about food and he was just as passionate and excited about it as I was and the great thing about that restaurant is they change their menu easily every other week so it's not like you go to a you know Denny's and the menu's exactly the same every single time you go there um it, you know it was just it was great it was a great learning experience for me and it really got me excited it, not so much fine dining necessarily but just um eclectic dining and he just had he used ingredients that I'd never heard of or seen before so that was really cool um from there I went to Dallas uh again to work with another big um celebrity chef at the time which was Dean Faring um at the mansion on Turtle Creek and again that was kind of one of the the restaurants to to work at you know if you wanted to become this great chef and um it was that was incredibly hard. It was definitely a much different, uh, differently run kitchen than what I was used to. Um, you know, Coyote Cafe was very uh, political and um, safe. <laughs> Things were done in a very um, human resources appreciated uh, way, I should say. Um, to getting to the mansion on Turtle Creek, and it was just old school screaming yelling throwing hitting uh you know degrading um everything that you see Gordon Ramsay do happen <laughs> you know like kind of he's like the yeller and like you know throwing things and stuff like that that's the kitchen that I walked into at Mansion on Turtle Creek when Dean Farring wasn't there Dean Farring was great he was amazing but he was gone away you know doing a lot of tv shows and um his chefs below him 
we're definitely more of that old school mentality of I'm going to scream at you and make you cry every single day until you get it right. <laughs> so, so talk more, talk a bit more about that. What is the what is the underlying purpose of this? I think it's it is it's an old school thing, and it, and it used to be accepted in most kitchens, and it still happens in some kitchens, not as much because you know we're a little more educated now on how we would like to be treated, but um, it's kind of that you you break them until either they they quit or they just get better and um some people work very well under that sort of circumstance and some people don't i actually worked very well under it and i kind of at sometimes i would really appreciate it because i'm just like he's gonna make me better he's gonna make me better i'm gonna be faster and i saw my skill level definitely growing and i was only there for about six months um but there was one point where the chef every night he does a, a taste of everybody's station. He has a bucket full of spoons. It goes down and tastes every single thing. And he got up to my station and he literally spit everything, everything that I had prepped that day. He would spit onto the ground and just look at me like, this is terrible. Threw it away. And, you know, we're like 10 minutes before service is about to hit. There's 120 reservations on the book. And now I have like no mise en place to start. It was terrible. And at that point, I finished the service. I made it happen. Um, and... I went home that night and I was just like, I don't think I can do this anymore. This guy's a jerk, but I used a much worse word. <laughs> how, how did you? Um, how do you run your kitchen today? Um, I'm definitely like the mother goose in the kitchen. I'm like the mama bear. You know, I like to. I there's times when you can have fun and and mess around and play music and you know joke and all that stuff. But then there's times when it's busy and you have to just be quiet, put your head down, and the answer to every single thing should be yes, chef. So do you think the um, the old school way of doing it, the way you described it, uh, and the way uh, the way you've experienced it, is this still uh, a predominant or widespread way of running a ki- culture of a kitchen, or do you think there's been a change in, in how? I think there's been a little bit of change, but I do feel like there are a lot of restaurants and a lot of kitchens in general that still kind of run with that. You know, I'm going to scream at you and make you cry every single day until you finally get that. And and again, I, I appreciate that at some levels, but then, and I don't want to like pick on anybody, but with the way things are these days, the millennials, like you, they have a different way of being raised and, um, it's not accepted as much. Whereas, you know, think back in the seventies when I was born, you know, you could go to school and your, your teachers could spank you, you know, and they could hit you with a ruler and they would not get in trouble. Now, you know, they're going to get sued in 16 different directions. Like, it's just a different mentality. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there is some sort of uh, lessons that you learn a little bit quicker, maybe a little bit better when you have a threat of being spanked. Yeah, you know? yeah it's, it's very interesting. To, so so I'm, I'm not deep into, uh, I'm not very knowledgeable about the, you know, the art of cooking and what happens behind the scenes, but... The way I imagine it is in order to reach excellence, it requires a lot of discipline, right? So um, I'm curious, how do you, what are some of the, like going through this uh, a bit old school culture of running a kitchen and being exposed to, you know, uh, spoons running, fl- flying around or, or some shouting, wh- what do you think are the skills you developed to, uh, to, to, to become excellent or to thrive for excellence uh, in, your, in your career? Well, I think, you know, kind of bringing in that, like, you know, does a a screaming chef teach you better than a nurturing chef? I think if you kind of go 
back and forth from one to the other, you pick up all the positive things from each experience. So I picked up some great uh, ways to manage and deal with people when I worked with Jeff Drew because he was very nurturing and he loved to teach people. Um, I also picked up some skills from, and I can't even remember the chef de cuisine's name at this point, but you know, the one that yelled at me and made me cry every single day, you know, and at the end of the day, I see his point on some things, you know? Um, so I feel like at each of these places that you work at, you pick up certain little things that, that make you who you are, but you already are who you are, but the things that really like you want to hone in on and you, you see yourself becoming like, you kind of just, um, pick those skills up and for me uh, at each place again you know I think the, the biggest thing I think I walked away with is patience and understanding are the are two things that you just have to you have to have that in a kitchen setting um, or you'll lose your mind <laughs> how did you how do you um, train those skills like how did you train those muscles of uh, patience and understanding That's a good question. I think just, you know, I've been doing this 20 years now, so <laughs> I still have a lot of learning to do and I'm still learning, you know, certain circumstances, you know, I think when you're, when you're going, starting, you know, from a prep cook, then you go up to a line cook, then you go up to a sous chef, up to an executive chef, then up to an owner, your level of patience and understanding grows, You know, and it's it's different things you have to understand where, you know, as a line cook, I had to understand, like, if the prep cooks didn't get the lettuce wash, it's not that big of a deal. I can go wash it myself as uh, as a sous chef. I'd have to understand if my line cooks didn't put out a dish the way I wanted to, then it was up to me to teach them how I really wanted to do it and just to be on top of them and show them time after time after time until they got it um, as a chef. You know, it just it kind of trickles down. And then now as an owner the patience and the understanding is, is, is still there with everything around the kitchen, but it's more like the general picture. Now I don't worry just about what's going on in the kitchen, I'm worried about what's going on in the front of the house. Like why are plates breaking? What's happening in the dish pit? Like your understanding and, and level of patience, it just, it grows in a different way. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like the more, the more you develop, the more, um, Uh, you turn go through the ranks mm -hmm. and end up being a, an owner it's much more around this generalist approach where you combine the art of cooking and the business of uh, right of it's, it's not so much tunnel vision it's like all of a sudden your your whole you know your land just got twice as large yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's go back to your to your uh, to your to your bio and, and your next steps like t like take us take us through the point where you eventually decide to uh, open up your own restaurant um, or uh, end up being an executive chef of Estrella where we now sit? Um, I think, you know, a big, a big thing for me is once I, when, once I left um, Dallas, I went to um, Atlanta and that's where I started working for, well, I worked for a small little like restaurant group, which was great. But then the biggest thing for me, like my biggest influence in cooking was once I started working for the Ritz Carlton. Um, and, It was just such a, it, at the time, Horst Schultz was still, you know, running it. And um, it was just such a hospitable working environment. And yes, it was corp It was the first like big corporate place I'd ever worked at. And I never realized, you know, you hear all these things like, oh, corporations, they're terrible and they're awful, but they're actually can be really, really great if they're done really well. Um, and I feel like the Ritz-Carlton is one of those corporations that just is amazing. Um, and for, you know, they... 
I was able to like kind of hone my skills in all sorts of different ways. But um, when you go from like a small restaurant to a hotel, it just it drastically changes, you know, your cooking style. But um, the Ritz Carlton, they really care about all those aspects. But I always said to myself, I'm never going to own my own restaurant. Like I love you know, having, I, I like to have a few people to answer. Like, I like being able to be, make, to be the decision maker, but there's still some people above me that if shit really hits a fan, you know, I still have lots of <laughs> bodies that's got to hit before it comes to me. So it's, it's a secureness, I think, there. And you're like, the paycheck's always going to come. You never have to worry about that. Um, but then after a while, there's only so much you can do. You know, you can only, you know, run a hotel for five years and then you're like okay so well I've done this now I know I can do that and I think chefs a lot like I said I keep going back to that like we're very we need a lot of attention we need to constantly being challenged and and do new things um because I, for the most part we're pretty creative people um and then, yeah after a while you're just kind of like God, well, now what <laughs> I know I can do a, a hotel what's after this and the, really the only thing is kind of owning your own place um and as much as I didn't necessarily want to leave the security of having that consistent paycheck and and health benefits and you know human resources right here, accounting right here, and all these things right next to me. It was just kind of like the next step. Otherwise, I was just kind of going linear. Yeah. So so I'd be curious if you could share some advice for um, for people who are maybe in a situation that. So, so craving uh, security in, a, in the work setting is a preference that people have, right? And I'm, I'm not putting any value on that. But I was curious, for people who are in this position of saying like, yeah, I, I, I prefer the safety, um, but I have also this itch of wanting to go and do my own thing. What advice, having gone through this, like what advice can you share about making that jump? Ooh. <laughs> sometimes I'm not sure that I made the right decision. Um, I, you know what? Honestly, I flipped back and forth. It's been now a little over, well, going on three years of not having, you know, that that security of, you know, the big corporation. Um, so <laughs> I the biggest thing you have to just set yourself, set yourself up financially for it. And it, it really is setting a budget and having a good accountant. <laughs> to kind of help keep you in line with everything. But um, it's a personal thing for every, I'm I'm sure everybody's is different. But for me, like I said, just, it was just me managing it. Here's it, it, me managing myself. I didn't have anybody else to manage for a while, you know, until we got the restaurants opening. And um, I had to kind of manage myself and really focus on keeping myself in line and doing exactly what I should be doing and not, um, you know, when you have a place to go to every single day, I knew I had to go to the W every single day. My office is right here, and I had all these things to do. And then all of a sudden, you don't have that. You're just like, okay, well, you know, I could just go sit on the couch all day if I wanted to because no one's there to really say that I can't do that, right? So you have to kind of manage yourself more so. And it, I think for most people, it's for me, it's been a little difficult, but I tend to like having to be at work every single day for 16 hours a day so it wasn't too bad but um I learned a lot about like trying to balance um personal and work stuff because when you don't like I said when you don't have someone saying you have to be here every single day and this is your schedule sometimes you're just like well I really have to be there <laughs> and then you don't go but um yeah I would say that would be the biggest thing so this, this podcast is called the role models podcast and I was curious about the importance of role models in uh, in your career, can you talk a little bit about that? 
Sure. I mean, I think um, in the chef world, role models are huge. You know, we all have, you know, the chefs that that we go back to consistently, whether they taught us how to taste properly, whether they taught us how to cook properly. Um, it's not just about how it looks and how it tastes. It also needs to be, you know, is it affordable? Are you going to make money up making this dish? Um, I can make the most amazing dish in the world using the most incredibly expensive um, ingredients, but at the end of the day, if I'm here to make money, is that really a good idea? So you have to kind of... Um, each chef had their own thing. Like I, you know, like I said, Jeff was the nurturing. Bruno was the chef who taught me how to really taste and how to look at food. Um, you know, working at the W is the place where I finally was able to understand the financial side of it. So, um, I mean, yeah, I think all chefs have huge role, huge role models. And then not just the chefs that you've worked for, but the chefs that you want to work for that, you know, you normally can't get your foot in the door. It's just too late. Um, but, you know, like like Massimo, you know, he's he's that chef that's just bake, breaking boundaries every single day. And the guy's like 60, late 60s. And he's still just so awesome and doing all these great things. You look at um, Daniel Hume, who is, you know, my age, and he's just, just became the best restaurant in the world. You know, like there's, and he's a role model. I've never worked for him. I met him once. I stole his hat. It's exciting. Um, we exchanged hats. I didn't really steal it. Um, but, you, you know, the role models that you don't necessarily have to know them, but, you know, because of what they do and their passion and their love for what they do and their creativity, they just automatically become that role model for sure. What do you think are the three skills that are most required for someone to develop to become a good chef? Um, well, obviously, taste is a huge thing. You know, you have to be able to um, know that food tastes good. Um, second thing, I think creativity is a huge part of it as well. Um, and the third part to be success, you know, financially successful about it, you have you really do have to understand numbers. And there's a lot, so many chefs out there that they don't want to have anything to do with sitting in an office. They don't want to be at a computer. They don't want to send out emails. They don't want to cost out their food. They don't want to have to worry about their labor costs. But if that's, you know, how if that's how you're getting money into your bank account, like you have to kind of, you have to know that. You don't just have to kind of know that. You have to know that. Um, so I'd say those would be the three big things for sure. Yeah, those are good. And um, if you, if if somebody out there is listening to this, young in a career, maybe maybe even starting off the career and, considering cooking to be a path for them what advice can you share for them on what to focus on right like so we want to jump into it and then we think we have to do all of it so what are the what are the 20 percent <laughs> that uh young people going to this uh or maybe older people but it can be anyone any age going considering career into cooking should spend 80 percent of their time uh, in, in an actual kitchen they need to spend their time before they make the commitment of saying, oh, this is what I want to do. They need to just, uh, don't go to school. I would highly recommend, you know, I tell a lot of people, don't waste your money on culinary school at this point. There's so many kitchens that you can walk into and stage at for free, <laughs> you know, um, but that's, that's really how you're going to learn. Not only are you going to learn great skills, uh, doing that stage, you know, in the kitchens of, you know, Eleven Madison or, you know, you're going into Italy or to Paris on all these great kitchens. Um, San Francisco, I mean, go work for Dominique Crenn. Like, um, you need to make sure that this is what you want to do. Because I think 
now more so with the Food Network and all these crazy TV shows with chefs, it's kind of become this like, oh, I'm going to be a chef and I'm going to be like this rock star and I can have tattoos and do whatever I want to do and look like what I want to look like. And they don't see that they, well, you can do that, but it takes a long time most of the time to get to that point. But um, I, I think they a lot of kids get into it just thinking like it's just cool. Cooking's really cool, but it's hard. <laughs> and it's hard to do it right. So um, walking into a kitchen, working there for three months, really see if that's the thing for you. Because a lot of times I'll get cooks in here and they're just like, I'm dedicated. I'm going to do this. They just graduated from school. They spent $120,000 on their, you know, their school, everything, you know, from start to finish. And they work a couple days and it's like, this is really hard. It's hot in here. I've been on my feet for 14 hours. I didn't get to eat today. You know, even though you're surrounded by food, you, you get so busy, sometimes you forget to eat. Um, you know, oh, I only get paid minimum wage. This really sucks. Like, you know, it's, it's not easy business to really get into. And again, you're not going to, I tell most cooks, you're not going to become a cook or a chef and become rich. Like, you're not, you know, you're not going to be the next Gordon Ramsay unless, you know, you have to work really hard to get to that point. Um, it's not just a career you come in and you're like, hey, I'm a chef. You know, there's lots of levels that you have to surpass in order to get to that point. Yeah, it's back to the patience point that you made mm -hmm. earlier, right? Um, so if somebody walks into your kitchen today, um, now and, and in a couple of minutes <laughs> and says, hey, Dakota, I love what you do. I love this place, Estrella. Give me a job. What do you look for? The biggest thing I think that I look for right now is just the passion, the passion to do it. I've got, and I literally just had that not too long ago. A, a young girl came in said, I really have been following you for a couple of years. I really want to start cooking. I haven't gone to culinary school, but I, I, you know, watch the food show every single day. I go home, I make food every single day for my boyfriend. I really just love it. Would you be willing to take me on? I'm just like, well, I mean, yeah, why not? I'm like, if you, you know, went out and just bought these crazy expensive knives and, you know, you're dedicating yourself to, to go home and cook something new every single day, then let's give it a shot. And she came into work every single day, 10 minutes before her, her shift started. She's clean, she's focused, and most, you know, importantly, she loves the food. She loves everything about it. She loves learning. You know, she's not my best cook in the kitchen, but the fact that she's willing to take criticism and coming in early, you know, coming in on her day off just to watch things to see how she can improve herself. Um, it's just, she's passionate about it. And passion is the number one thing. I've got some cooks that have been in my kitchen for 12 years and they come in and they do the same thing every single day. They do it the way I told them to do it, but they're not excited about it. It's just a job to them. It's just a paycheck. Um, still great people and great cooks, but it's not that they're, they don't want to become chefs. It's just a job. It's what they know to do. But when you see someone coming in and they're super passionate about it, that gets me super excited. I'm just like, you're, you're in. Let's do it. I will teach you the skills that you need to know to get by and to move on to the next step in your career just because you're so passionate. If you look back at your career um, and you would go back to uh, your 14-year-old, the 14-year-old Dakota-wise, <laughs> what advice do you share with her? Hmm. <laughs> I think for me, and I think this is kind of a, a woman thing in general, is I would tell myself to go back and ask for more. 
Um, and I, and I get this from my sister a lot and I get it from my mom. My mom's always saying, you're not going to know what you deserve unless you ask for it. We know what you want. You don't know if you deserve it. If you don't ask for it, then you don't know. And I feel like I was always so humble sometimes, most of the time. And I didn't want to like, you know, offset anybody. Maybe I wasn't doing that good. So I wouldn't ask my chef to get moved up to the next position because I was scared or intimidated or, or whatever it was. But I feel like... If I'd had the nerve to just be like, you know what, chef, I feel like I've been working really hard. I've come here every single day. I've never been sick. I've never called out. Always on time. I feel like I deserve the next position on saute. Um, can I have it? If I'd asked for it, they'd probably be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Or maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. But I think that the biggest thing is just ask for things. Because if you don't ask, you're never going to know. Ask for more. <laughs> um, we have three minutes to go. And, okay. then, you're, and then the service starts. Uh, what is if you have a shout out to the audience, if there were, you want to point them to something uh, to check out, where would you point them? Uh, as far as food's concerned? Food, restaurant, your social media, whatever you would, like, if people want to learn more about you or your work. Oh, I was going to say in general, you know, everybody's got to check out Nomad. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we're doing some really fun things with Sweetfin. We're not your everyday. Pokey's been this huge crage. Oh my God. Rage. I'm taking crave and rage together. It's been a huge rage lately. Um, And I think we just kind of, you know, started it when the whole rave was kind of coming up and everything. Um, So we're doing some really fun things with it. We're not, we're thinking outside of the box. We're not trying to be traditional poke. Um, And we're kind of making some pretty cool combinations there. So I'd say everybody needs to check out Sweetfin. We've got five here in LA. We'll have three more by the end of the year. Our first one in San Diego. And we're coming to New York real soon. Um, So everybody check out Sweetfin. Estrella is amazing. Um, We're open breakfast, lunch, dinner, seven days a week. Um, And we change the menu. The fun thing about Estrella is we change the menu easily probably 40% of it every three to four weeks um, just to stay up with seasonal dishes. And again, like we get bored after a while and you just want to constantly create something new, create something new. And I try to, you know, tell that to my cooks too. I'm like, they really love a dish. And like, oh, it's my favorite dish. Why are you taking off? I'm like, because we're moving on to the next thing. Come on, what are we going to learn about now? And um, at Estrella, I'm able to kind of just really do a lot more of experimenting with food. And I'll even bring in stuff that I've never heard of just to cook it, to see like, whoa, wow, this is awesome. And then I can teach my cooks how to do it. Uh, so we're always doing fun stuff here at Estrella. If you pick, um, if you could choose one, your favorite ingredient currently and the, your favorite dish that you serve at Estrella, what are the answers to that? My favorite ingredient is constantly changing. Right now, I'd say it, probably fish sauce is like a big thing right now for me. Um especially since I'm actually allergic to fish. So it's kind of funny, but I think because it's fermented and it doesn't bother me at all. But fish sauce is this great, um, liquid that just has the most insane flavor. You open the bottle and it just smells like, you know, a bucket full of rotten fish. Then it tastes nothing like it smells. And it's just this really funky umami, sweet kind of salty sourness to it. It's got a great viscosity to it. And it really just adds another level to your sauces. I mean, we put it in a green goddess vinaigrette that just takes it up to this. You're like, oh my gosh, it's just amazing. It really brightens it. Um, It also has like this nice little earthiness to it. Um, my favorite dish at Estrella, that's always changing too, but right now would probably have to be real simple, just oysters on the half shell. We're getting um, these really great oysters called Capital Oysters, and uh, we just serve it with black truffles and a little shallot mignonette. Sweet and simple. 
Oysters. Dakota Weiss, thank you so much <laughs> for coming you. on the podcast. We have to let you go. Uh, and thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. Before you go, here's a few more things. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Role Models Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and your favorite podcasting app. If you'd like to support, please rate this podcast on iTunes and post a review. This will help other listeners like you find this podcast. And if you have any feedback for us or suggestions for who you want to have on the show, please let us know and reach out on Twitter at Role Models. Thanks.